Good morning, New Hope. It is good to see everybody here. Man, we've got a lot of people here today. This is awesome. This is awesome. Well, I am Jim Franks and Sam Spence, and we're talking today. Yes. Yes, indeed. Yep, live and uncut. Live and uncut. So we'll see how that goes. Kidoki. <laughs> been a long week, hadn't it? Sometimes when we have those long weeks, stuff comes out that we didn't really see coming. So we'll see how that goes. If you are joining us uh, online, it's good to have you join us as well. Uh, as we get going, uh, you, for those of you who may not know, our uh, Pastor Tim and Nikki are not with us. They are vacationing on sabbatical, and it is, uh, so please be in prayer for them while they are away for the next few weeks, um, and it will be great to have them back. Okay, well, one of the things that I absolutely love about my job is I get to lead this thing called Equip. Equip is something that we do here. Uh, it's a leadership uh, development course that, that we created. Uh, it's about self-development. It's about self-leadership. Um, and I get the chance to uh, walk people through uh, areas of inner healing, and uh, it's fun. It's really fun uh, walking people through that process. One of the things that we do is we confront difficult things. We confront uh, areas of our lives that are unresolved, that need to be healed. Um, everybody who takes Equip is challenged. Many of the folks who are challenged actually begin living differently. And that's a lot of fun to watch. And many who begin di living differently actually choose to reprioritize their lives and start living in a way that they did not live before. And that's really fun to watch people make those, those changes and then to see, you know, to see that, um, see that lived out. <clears throat> If you haven't yet, like Jill Clutter, would you please uh, silence your phones so that not everybody around you is irritated? Happy Father's Day! Happy Father's Day! That was your Happy Father's Day message. So, uh, moving on. Um, so, choosing a set of priorities is really, really important because sometimes life goes crazy, doesn't it? Yes. And when life goes crazy, if we have not chosen a set of priorities to live by, we will operate on whatever works, whatever feels right. That gets us in a lot of trouble really fast. And so the, the, the discipline of setting our own list of priorities is really important on a week like we just had. Because it's not just what happened this week. We've got conflicts around the world that are causing all kinds of issues. And when those things start piling up, it's, it can make it very difficult to make decisions. 
And if we are not, if we do not have that set of priorities that we have chosen to move towards on purpose, we will go with wherever the wind tends to blow us. So, uh, so there's a very interesting concept in uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 51. I want to look at that here real quick. Luke 9, 51. We'll just read it off of there. This is a, uh, this is a passage, a, a part of a, a much larger passage, where Jesus is about to, uh, he, he realizes that his time has come for him to make his way towards Jerusalem in order to be crucified. His time on earth is coming to an end. He knows this is not going to be a fun time. He is about to endure something that no human being, it would be awfully, awfully difficult. There are a few people who have endured what something like he did, but not many. So it says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. In another, in another translation, it says, Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. This idea of resolutely setting out for our purpose is what we're going to see today as we get into where the Apostle Paul is in his missionary journeys. He resolutely set his face, resolutely set his direction for where he was headed. I would suggest for us, setting our priorities in this way is about resolutely setting our face towards whatever we know is right, whatever we know God has called us to, and then keeping our face headed in that direction. Not looking this way, not looking this way. But we are choosing to obey and follow God's calling in our lives. So we're going to have two different sections today. Sam's going to take our first section, and then I'm going to pick up after Sam's done. So Sam, why don't you go ahead? I missed a slide already. My bad. So, so your first slide, your first fill in the blank. <laughs> I wasn't paying attention. Is Jesus was determined to go to Jerusalem. Now Sam's going to pick up. Okay. Uh-oh, no spoilers. Okay, don't look at that. Okay, well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name's Sam, um, and I serve on the teaching team here, and I'm a financial trustee as well. Um, they said I can't stand up today because if I do, uh, you'll only see from my nose down. So I'm going to try to stay contained, uh, but we'll see. If you've heard me talk before, I like to move around and flail my arms and stuff. So today, if you have a, your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 7. And just remember, um, Acts chapter 20, we're coming off of the heels of Acts 19. There's some crazy things happening, really wild. Uh, they were trying to kill the Christians in the city of Ephesus. But we see God, he, he intervenes and does a miracle and spares their lives. So before we, I kind of gave you a spoiler already. Before we jump into Acts 20, I want to recap a point that Jim had last week. Um, and it should be on your worship program. Does anybody want to guess what it is now that you've seen it? Funnel, okay, God's love is like a funnel, right? Pastor Jim was talking about this. So the funnel was small, okay? You had just the Jews, but when Jesus came, the funnel got bigger, right? Um, and there's a mic feeding back. Is it Jim or me? You hear it humming? That's better, thank you. Um, 
So keeping this analogy in mind, um, we're going to go ahead and read Acts chapter 20, verse 7. This is a fun story. We're going to have some fun with it. So, so let's follow along. But, but something's happening here, okay? The church had been meeting on Saturdays with just Jews, and what we're seeing in today's scripture is the church is now meeting on the first day of the week, uh, what, what, we, what we would call a Sunday, but also with Gentiles. So what does this sound like? A funnel, right? What was once for a small group of people, the Jews, is now for all people. And th this is a fill-in on your worship program. Uh, maybe it's not. But you can write down, um, it was supposed to be in there. That's my bad again. I'm 0 for 2 so far. Hopefully it goes better. So <laughs> write this down. The church is for all people. Okay? So this is where the church started to become what it is today, a diverse group of people from various walks of life coming together to worship God. And just like our services and most other churches you've been to, the best part, the sermon, right? Yes, yes amen, right? Okay, so uh, it, it's really cool because the, the author of Acts um, says this. It says, Paul was preaching to them, okay? And we're going to go ahead and, and read here in Acts 20, verses 7, okay? On the first day of the week, we gathered with the local believers to share in the Lord's Supper. Paul was preaching to them, and since he was leaving the next day, he kept talking until midnight. Doesn't that sound like a perfect sermon? <laughs> right? My word. I love the human nature. Uh, I mean, Scripture is, is spirit um, through people, and you, you see the humanness in here. And, and, and now Luke, Luke the author is saying he was preaching till midnight so don't come at Jim and I when we keep you for 45 minutes all right because we're going to try to get you out of here before lunch so remember Paul has been given spiritual gifts right we talked a little bit about spiritual gifts in the Holy Spirit compared it to a chainsaw right so Paul he's saturated in the spirit dripping wet and he has been given through the spirit the gift of teaching and healing okay we're going to come back to that um, but I, I want to remind you of that. So we've seen in the past chapters that people have been flocking to Paul to hear him preach, right? They're obviously staying until midnight because something's going on. There's something about Paul that makes people want to hear his preaching. And, and I want to stop here and focus on this word preaching for a minute. Um, in today's culture, have you guys noticed the word preaching can have negative connotations? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Typically, when you're out in the world, um, you hear people say, don't preach to me, right? And they're essentially saying, like, I don't want, I don't want a sermon. You know, save me. Like, don't preach to me. And uh, if you guys are Madonna fans, Madonna had a favorite, uh, famous song called Papa Don't Preach. You guys remember that song? Yeah, a few. Mm-hmm. That wasn't a very good song, but <laughs> it was a song. That was the 40 and above crowd that yeah, said yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know why I know what that song is. But, but negative connotations in culture. And, and I, I believe that preaching, like, God means for it to be a very, very positive thing in our life. And we'll, we'll talk about this some more. So Paul's been preaching in previous chapter. He's preaching here again. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's on a roll. And since he was leaving the next day, he was going to preach all the way till midnight. So Paul had saw 45 minutes six hours ago at this point. He's still preaching. He's fired up. He just kept preaching and preaching and preaching, and people were listening. And 
Again, now the Bible being written by real people inspired by the Holy Spirit, I like Luke's authenticity in this moment. Um, and Luke is the author of the book of Acts. So let's read verse 8 and see what Luke says. Hey, there's that slide from earlier. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> I'm one for two now. That was a foul ball. <laughs> that was a, at least I didn't strike out. Yes. Okay. We might be here till midnight. Okay. So, verse 8. The upstairs room where we met was lighted with many flickering lamps. That's pretty descriptive. Right? It's like, dang, we're getting a whole picture of what's happening. So, Luke says, he was there in this upstairs room where we met. There were flickering lamps. Now, for you, what do you think of when you see a flickering candle in a dark room? Calm, right? Anything else? Maybe romantic, right? My wife thinks candles are romantic, but I think candles are sleepy. <laughs> True, <laughs> right? So I'm like, man, that's a nice candle. And if it's a scented candle, I'm done. <laughs> you know, if it's like a warm cookie or like fresh linen, you know? Jeez, man. And now they got mandals. Did you know they have man candles now? Yeah. <laughs> For real. Did anybody get a mandal for Father's Day? <laughs> Nobody's going to own up to it. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'd rock one. <laughs> so, where was I? Okay. Midnight. Midnight. <laughs> Moving on. Verse 9. So, Paul's preaching all night. There's candles. It's recipe for what? Disaster. Right? And if you guys have read this story, you're going to know what's, what's coming. So... Let's read this. So as Paul spoke on and on, yeah, you could see what Luke was thinking, right? <laughs> the human nature there. A young man named, is that Eutychus? Yep. Yeah, nice. I never practiced that. Sitting on the windowsill became very drowsy. And finally, like he, he fell fully sound asleep and he dropped three stories to his death below and died. It's like, whoa. So Luke's like, dang, dude, this story's awesome. I'm going to put this in the Bible because it's going to be here forever. And Sam and Jim are going to talk about it like thousands of years later. It's so stinking cool, but this poor kid. And, and if you look at the Greek used here, this is a child, so 6 to 14 years old. And let me just say, like, this poor kid, right? There's no children's church going on. Like, maybe this is, like, uh, a good reason to have children's church, I guess. <laughs> and not on the third floor. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there's lots of good application we can apply here. Yes. Um, and, and before we move on, let me say there's good reasons to be in the Bible. There's not so good reasons to be in the Bible. And then there's hilarious reasons to be in the Bible. And this is a, it's a hilarious reason to be in the Bible. You fell asleep during a sermon. You fell three stories to your death and died. And what's even more embarrassing is you guys know there's a process to falling asleep, right? Yeah, you're like, you're getting tired. And you, and you jolt awake, right? And let me just say, I am super jealous of the people in, in my life, my dad's one of these people, he can fall asleep and play it off super cool. We were at my house yesterday, and he fell asleep. Um, we were celebrating Father's Day, and we were having a conversation, and you, he's snoring, and he wakes up and just continues the conversation. <laughs> Do you guys know people like that? Right? I start to like, I'm like, <laughs> and then I'm like, did anybody notice? <laughs> super jealous. So I don't know what was going on as he got, became drowsy, but I'm sure it was something, right? And I, I remember I did this one time in economics class, the first time I took it. I, I, 
I had to take it twice for some reason. And so this professor, he was, it was Professor Ritchie, and he had the most monotone voice. It was like the flickering candle, you know? And I, that lunch, I, I went to the buffet. It was called the Marketplace, and I had a bunch of potatoes, and then there's like chicken pot pie and like fried nuggets, and I ate all that. And then I went to my economics class at one o'clock, and so I fell asleep and woke up snorting and slapped the two people next to me. So I can relate to this poor dude because I guarantee you if Sam was in that room with the sleepy candles, uh, I would, would have probably fallen out the window too. So anywho, jeez. And those dreams when you're falling, aren't those the worst? I think I kicked Chelsea in the back once. Like, you're just like, eh. Midnight. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're not doing good on time, so we'll keep going. So the truth here is I imagine this young man really wanted to hear this message, right? He was there, right? But sometimes we just can't hang with the gang, right? Sometimes you just, you go night-night. So, so back to the story. This kid just died. It probably freaked everybody out. Like, let's be honest. If you experience anything like that, that is majorly traumatic, um, and that's definitely not the way you want to end your church service um, at all. So, verse 10. I'm trying to try not to laugh. Okay. So, he, Paul went down. Okay, this is after the, the, the kid fell out three stories, bent over him, and took him into his arms and said, don't worry, he's alive. So, we see Paul bend over this child, much like Elijah did, took him in his arms and told everybody, hey, don't worry, he's alive. So, so Paul healed this, this young boy. Remember the giftings from the Holy Spirit. Paul is gifted in the Spirit to do amazing things. He's walking in obedience. Miraculous things are happening because of his spiritual discipline, and one just happened here through the gift of healing. Now, Paul could have said, well, he's dead, right? He could have, he could have looked out the third-story window and said, yeah, that's not good, right? <laughs> but there's something here, okay? Because Paul, there's something going on that we don't see necessarily, and this is the Spirit moving inside of Paul, right? Paul was prompted to go down there in faith through the power that he had been given in the Spirit because he was saturated um, and, and filled with the Spirit. He was dripping wet, and he knew what he had to do in that moment. So he went down, and he healed this young boy. And, and church, this is the same Spirit that we have access to today. If you are a Christ follower, you have accepted Jesus into your life, you have this this power in this spirit. You have spiritual gifts. And if you're here a few weeks ago, we, we compared the Holy Spirit to a chainsaw, right? Yeah. It was fun. And a lot of you guys have used your chainsaw a little too much this week. Um, it's just uncanny looking back. It's crazy. So, and, and just to remind us that the Holy Spirit's not just a tool to use. It's a, it's a person. We talked about the importance of knowing how to use the spirit. And we see here, again, somebody that knows how to use the spirit right? Through obedience. He's making ripples in tidal waves for the kingdom. And does this sound familiar, church? Let's, let's look at our memory verse. We're going to read this together, okay? We're, we're talking about the power in the Spirit. So we're going to read this together. Ready? Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and all the ends of the earth. Very good. So, very good. So it's amazing what happens next in verse 11. We're going we're gonna to keep rolling on because Jim's got some great stuff. So then they all went back upstairs 
It's like nothing ever happened. Crazy, right? Shared in the Lord's Supper, ate together, continued talking to them until dawn. Okay, so that dawn's past midnight, right? <laughs> yeah, right? So side note, okay, I'm imagining myself in this room, okay? I saw a turtle on State Route 3 the other day, like up the road from the Fox's house and our house, and I about stopped and got it, but I didn't, and then it kept me up all night knowing if the turtle lived or died. Like, I'm a sensitive person. I cannot imagine being there and experiencing this, even if the, this child was healed. Crazy, okay? Super crazy. Imagining the trauma of witnessing all this and experiencing that, but praise God, this child was healed. What a roller coaster of a sermon. So the church service wasn't over. It didn't go out with a splat, if you get what I'm saying, right? <laughs> I thought that'd be funnier than that. I don't know. That's okay. So they go back upstairs, continue on. They ate together, continue talking with them for like six more hours. Now, do you think anybody's fallen asleep this time? No. <laughs> no. They've got their Red Bulls or Starbucks, but nobody's falling asleep and nobody's sitting on the windowsill because we just, no, nobody else is dying tonight. So Paul continued until dawn. We see in verse 12, meanwhile, the young man was taken home alive and well, and everyone was greatly relieved. Obviously, right? This is a happy ending. We see Paul, an individual saturated in the spirit, sensitive to the spirit, and sent in the spirit. We see his obedience just change everything, okay? What a happy ending. And, and church, this was a long sermon, has anybody been to a sermon that's been over 10 hours? I haven't. Mm -mm. So here's, here's my second question. Would you go to a sermon that was over 10 hours? Think about that. Just honestly ask yourself. In, in church, did you know in parts of the world today, typically persecuted nations, 10-hour sermons are kind of of the normal? It's crazy. Parts of China, you know, persecuted nations where this is illegal to gather and do. If they hear somebody from the United States is going to come and bring a word, you will have local preachers in that area travel up to 10 hours to get there. And when that speaker gets there, they will talk all day because they're so hungry. So church, are we missing something as a culture here? Because, because I do. And I think we have forgotten something very important about sermons, and this is a fill-in, because God uses preaching to speak directly through us. God uses preaching to speak directly to us. Write that down. Now, I want to unpack this just a little bit. Some of you may say, well, well why? Okay, And that's kind of an easy answer. That's because God's a relational God. God chooses Paul, okay? We read about this. God used an individual and other people and gifts them to the abilities of preaching and teaching and healing and exhortation and all the spiritual gifts. When he calls these people and they become sensitized and saturated in the scent and the spirit, then this stuff, the crazy stuff happens. God calls preachers to preach his word and that's why... And, and the reason why is God's a relational God. And 
And it's, easy, it's not easy for God. It's easy for us when God speaks to us through the context of a relationship. That's why he sent his son Jesus, right? I mean, a burning bush is great, right? We see times in scripture where, where, where God doesn't need us. He can get your attention. But he chooses to do that in relationship. So God has always used teachers like Paul to communicate with us. Have you guys ever heard a sermon that felt like it was just for you? Yeah, yeah well, it was. <laughs> that's, that's what happened, right? Because that was meant for you. If you hear something that somebody says on the stage, sometimes that is meant just for you. The Spirit was speaking through that person. And that's what we're seeing happening in this moment here as well. So my final challenge before we move forward and um, Jim's going to hit a home run, I want to ask us, are you hungry for the word? Or do you dread the one hour a week being here? Just going to be honest. Because people in other cultures, they're so hungry to learn. But us as a culture, we're like, no thanks, I'm full. Right? That's enough. One hour's good. You know, I, I gave my time. I'm, I'm not going to go to small group tonight. You know, I got to, I got to mow the yard. I got to wash the truck. Because we're giving up more time. We don't see this mindset in other cultures. We, I, I don't know, we'll, we'll stop there, <laughs> okay? There are literally people risking their lives to hear this, this message. People are dying by their government, by meeting together, and simply we can't give up our time. We spend so much time on things that matter, and I'm gonna be gentle here, Jim. We were talking in the back before this, and I'm gonna try to do this gentle, okay? Kids sports, okay? That's about all I need to say to convict some of you in this room. You spend a lot of time at kids' sports. But let me tell you, I have the statistics, and I can share them with you later if you want them. Most of the time, your kid's not going to be a professional athlete. I'll be honest. But I can guarantee you 100% that your child is watching you and your priorities and your decisions. And I can 100% guarantee that child's going to grow up and either choose to adopt the faith of their own or walk away from it. So I'm not just picking on kids' sports. This could be a fill-in-the-blank for you. Because I think our priorities need to change. I think we need to have the hunger that we see here in Acts 20, that we still see in other cultures today, that we as a culture just seem to forget. And a lot of it comes from this. We need to remember that God uses preaching. Okay? God uses this stage to speak directly to us. So, deep breath. My chapter and my section ends very happy, right? And I think Jim and I are going to play happy cop, sad cop. Is that what we're doing? <laughs> yes, because, <laughs> uh, because endings aren't always happy. Um, sometimes the tree falls on the house and comes through the roof and, uh, and doesn't miss. Sometimes the illness comes and it doesn't end in healing. Sometimes our endings aren't super happy. And, uh, and so Paul just had this, this situation with the kid and, you know, I, I just can't imagine. How, how do you see something like that and, you know, you're not <laughs> just watch somebody come back to life. But... And, and so 
cool, cool, cool story. But Paul's about to set his face towards something different. So let's pick up in, in, uh, in chapter 20, Acts chapter 20. I'm going to start in verse 13. So it says this. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Assos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Assos, he took, we took him aboard and went on to that other place. The next day, we set sail from there and arrived at Chios. The day after that, we crossed over to there, and then they arrived at the other place. So then, Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. So what we start to see is this, this intentionality of direction. He knows where he is going, and he is not going to be turned aside when we have an understanding of this is God's calling in my life, it helps making our decisions much easier. When I recognize what God desires for me, temptations aren't as difficult if I'm choosing to set my face towards obedience. Because then those decisions, do I go this direction? Do I allow myself to go that way? No, I don't want to do that because I know where I'm headed. And that's kind of where Paul's at right now. He could have gone over to Asia because he had a lot of friends there. In fact, he has some churches that he planted there. But he chose not to go that direction because he is headed for Jerusalem. We'll get into why he's headed there in just a minute. So from that, that place, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly from, the house, from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Now we're moving into where this is going to get, a, get challenging, at least for us who don't have this kind of a calling. Because as he says, he's headed for Jerusalem, but he doesn't know what's going to happen. Who, for those of us who have been uh, kind of following along with Acts, and maybe you've, you've been reading along, who was probably at Jerusalem waiting for him? The what group of people? The Jews. Yes. The Jewish people who are the power people are waiting for him there. And they do not think very highly of the Apostle Paul. But this is where he's going, and he is not going to be turned away. He is not going to turn to the right. He is not going to turn to the left. He is going to Jerusalem because he knows that this is where God is leading him towards. For us, hopefully, a lot of us have an understanding of what God's calling on our lives are. When we know what God's calling on our life is, that's when we set our face towards that and we don't turn aside. 
That's where Paul's at here. Okay, let's keep going. I only know that in facing me, do I skip the line, that in every city in the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. This is Paul's calling. This calling is ultimately going to take him to his death. But there is no hesitation. We all have a calling. God has a plan for each one of us. We have to decide, is it worth sacrificing for? Because if, 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 God, if you are following God's calling for your life, there are going to be things that you have to sacrifice and they're the things that are called selfishness. They're the things that make me comfortable. I'm going to have to set those things aside because I cannot follow my selfishness and follow God at the same time. I have to pick. And if I am setting my face towards God's calling in my life, I will have to turn away from anything that is going to grab me and pull me into self-centered thinking and self-centered desires. And Paul is in the middle of this in a big way. Let's see what else, let's see what happens next. He says, Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. This is the last that. For those of us who have kids, we know how much we think of them. Paul didn't have kids. Paul was never married, never had children. But his children were the people that he led to Christ. Who knows how many hundreds or thousands of people this man led to Christ in the years that he followed Jesus. Every place he would go and he would plant a church, those were his kids. And in this instant, he is getting ready to see these people for the last time. Think about, for those of us who are parents, like, this has been a long week and I'm really tired, so that's why the emotions are coming. So anyway, so the, um, think about, for those of us that are parents, the point where we might see our kids for the last time the amount of emotions that would be filled. And that's where he's at. He is going to see these people for the last time because he knows when he gets to Jerusalem, there's a good chance that he's not going to live much longer because the Jewish, the Jewish leaders are going to, they're going to have him killed. So he has a decision to make. Does he follow his heart, his, his personal selfish heart, and say, I don't want to leave these people I've invested hours and hours and days and weeks and maybe years in these people's lives. And now he's going to walk away from them and they're never going to see him again. So he goes on. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. 
keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away, dis- away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I, have st- I, I never stopped warning each of you that you might... Oh my gosh. I can't talk through my tears. Never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. Here were a couple areas where he could have turned aside and he could have chosen to compromise his calling. Had he valued money, had he valued expensive clothing, that would have taken him aside from the calling that God has placed on his life. And he says, I didn't do it. I even, he even says, I worked on my own. I raised my own money as I was going around and doing these missionary journeys and preaching and, and building churches. He did not turn aside. He goes on. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and he prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. How would you like to be a part of that conversation? Here he was following his calling, and the people that he loved most in the world were saying, please don't go. Stay with us. It's safe here. But he still didn't do it. He set what he wanted to do aside, and he followed his calling. This is a life lived on purpose. We all have opportunities to live our lives on purpose. This is not being blown and tossed by whatever comes. Paul's, and here here we have our next uh, next fill in the blank. Paul's contentment and his stability rested, as, as Sam said a couple weeks ago, in his sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, his saturation of the Holy Spirit, and his sending, God's purpose in his life. This is what, is, this is what um, he lived his life by. If we choose, if our contentment and our stability is in anything temporary, if your contentment and stability is in your family, family is temporary. Family can be lost. Family can die. If your stability and your contentment is in your family, you will always live with some instability because what happens if he's gone? What happens if she's gone? When God is your, when your relationship with God is your contentment and your stability, now you have something to build your life on that will never change. 
and is not affected by a storm and is not affected by a war. It is not affected by inflation and high gas prices. Our contentment and stability, if it is built on God, is built on his love for us that never changes. You can blow it as bad as you want to and his love for you never changes. That is a stability that never goes away. So he goes on into chapter 21. He says this, After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight for that place. The next day we went to Rhodes and there to Patera. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia and went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed to Syria. We landed at Tyre where our ship was to unload its cargo. Finding the disciples there, we stayed with them seven days. Through the, through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. But when our time was up, we left and we continued on our way. And here he goes again. How do you do that? It's the same thing we do. Because we have temptations every single day that say, this will feel better than what you have. This will make life easier than what you have. We have temptations every day that try to pull us away from living in obedience to God. We just see it in this situation because of the heart, you know, Paul's heart being stretched over and over and over as he's seeing these, his, his kids for the last time. But we have the same decisions every day. Do we live in obedience? Do we live according to the calling God places on our lives? Or do we choose to short-circuit the process and take shortcuts? Okay, it goes on. All the disciples and their wives and children accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship, and they returned home. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at that place where we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Now Paul has his answer. This is what's coming. He's going to get arrested, and he's going to be taken away. This is going to kind of be the beginning of the end of Paul's ministry. And yet, does he turn away? No. no way. He, his life is built on his relationship with God and God's calling, and he is not going to turn back now, even though he knows he's going to his death. For those of us who are parents, who are grandparents, if you knew that God was leading you in a certain direction that was going to cause you to be put to death. And you were going to have to leave your family. How would you handle that? That's what Paul was having to make this decision. And the decision was already made. 
When we heard this, we and the people pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be, lost my spot, uh, ready to be not only bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. And there it is. Paul's made his decision. He is going to choose to die. So, Paul's contentment and stability did not rest in his present conditions. If, if our, in our culture today, if our contentment and stability was resting in our present conditions and our present circumstances, we would all be medicated. Because how do we build our lives on a culture that is as unstable as ours is right now? Can't do it. So, he goes on. He goes on and he, 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 he comes to Jerusalem. Sure enough, Paul is arrested. And he, after preaching to the crowd, he knew what was going to happen. And yet, he still preached to a crowd of people who arrested him because Paul's desire was to preach to influential people. And he knew that if he was arrested, that he was going to be taking, taken to a man uh, who's the governor of this area named Felix. And he was going to have an audience with perhaps the most influential man in their, in their area. That's what he wanted. So that, and that's exactly what happened. Paul's desire is to share the gospel in order for Jesus to set his face towards Jerusalem, there were an infinite number of things that he had to turn away from. And the same with Paul. Paul set aside his own safety. Paul set aside his own comfort. Paul set aside fellowship with his support system because God's calling on his life was, was his number one thing. His relationship with God and, his, and God's calling on his life. He was not going to be turned away. So when Paul set his face toward Jerusalem, his ability to be content and stable is what steadied him. And that's what we need to have today. We need to have God steadying our... our, our he he's, needs to be the one who steadies us, our relationship with him. Look at uh, Ephesians chapter, you know, Ephesians, Philippians chapter 4. Very interesting passage, Philippians 4. Paul wrote this while he was in prison. After he had been taken to, I believe he was in prison in Rome when he wrote this, uh, when he wrote the book of Philippians. He said this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord while he's in prison. He says that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but, 
but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. We need to learn how to be, uh, how to be content when things aren't great at home when we're trying to figure each other out at home, when things are hard at work, when things are hard wherever we're at, we need to be able to, 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 to voice what the Apostle Paul says here and say, I have figured out how to be content in any situation because I can do everything through him who gives me strength. When we're driving by the gas station and the lights are off. When we pull up to the gas pump and we can't put our cards in because it won't read them. We need to learn how to be content because of the relationship of the Holy Spirit inside of us, saturating us, not because things are comfortable. How do we get there? Our last section is John chapter 6, verses 32. I'm just going to read off that. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. It is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and you still do not believe. All those the Father gives me, I will, will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. <sighs> Isn't that good? He will never, will never drive us away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do, to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but I'll raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise them up in the last day. That is the true bread. Jesus is the true bread. That when we take him into our lives, that's what brings satisfaction. And when we choose to live a life of obedience to him, now we are feeding on the bread of God every single day. When we are in our word and we are obeying the word, we are taking, God's, we are taking the bread of life in every day it's, if, it is our relationship with God that provides us what we need and it's very appropriate that uh, today is communion day this is the this is the, the time in our church month where we remember what Jesus did for us what we were just reading there in John chapter 6 he said his body is the bread of life and so when we are consuming God's word 
we are bringing in the bread of life into our hearts. As we take communion, on, on the table, we're going to have some bread and we're going to have some juice. The bread represents Jesus' body that was broken for all of us. As we, as we take that bread, and it's gluten-free, so if, that, if that's an issue for 